0: Welcome to On The Spot, where two student pastors talk about stuff that matters. I'm Dakota.
1: And I'm Kyle.
0: Kyle, we're back. We're in the studio, and we have a special guest today that I'm really excited about. We do have
1: a special guest. I'm super excited for the interview that we have for you guys today.
0: But before we get into that interview, as always, Kyle has a question of the day that I have no idea what it is. Yes, yes, the question of the day. Dakota, I want to
1: know who has the best fried chicken in the
0: United States. Oh, my. The best fried chicken? The Why, best fried okay. chicken. Why are all of these questions food related lately? I I, I don't know, but,
1: <laughs> you know, it just tends to be the world that I live in is food. Okay, understood. So, And when I say um, fried chicken, let me clarify. I'm not talking about chicken sandwiches. I'm not talking about chicken fingers or chicken nuggets. I'm talking about... A good old bucket of fried chicken with bones in it, all right? Yeah, man. Who I... has the best fried chicken? And I don't want to I don't want to cop out and say like your grandmommy
0: <laughs> makes the best fried chicken. I want like a restaurant, all right? That's hard because I don't typically order fried chicken at well, a restaurant. Now I know what's wrong with you. Yeah, you know. Um, so okay, well, question then. You
1: never go to a restaurant and just order order a bucket of fried chicken? No. You you never go anywhere.
0: I mean, I've done, like, like I'm not, I'm not Bojangles t- and stuff like yes, that. Yes, that's
1: what I'm talking about. Oh, so
0: you're not talking about, like... Okay, I understand. What did you I think understand. I was talking about? I thought about. you were talking about, like, a restaurant, not a fast food restaurant. You
1: like, like, you went to Chili's and got, like, a fried <laughs> leg or something? Yeah,
0: that's what I was why, thinking, like... Why? No well, I was running through my mind like Bonchon has incredible fried chicken, but it's not like normal fried chicken. You know what no! I mean? So okay, no. okay. So I understand the assignment. Do you assignment. know
1: what the phrase "bucket of fried chicken" means? Now
0: I do. Like uh, like, like 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 an eight
1: piece or yeah. a twenty piece or whatever. Well, have you ever gotten something like that at, at Publix?
0: Uh, I have at. Well, I've never shopped baby? at Publix, but I've gotten the Walmart. Wait, fried hold on. Chicken You've before. never been to Publix? No. Um. Also, Royal Farms has pretty good fried chicken. Okay, yes. Royal, Royal Farms does yeah. have fried chicken. Uh, but I would say... If you
1: were to go to New Orleans, I would say the best fried chicken was actually at a gas station.
0: Really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, my answer is probably... Definitively, yes, gonna be Bojangles because I love it. Okay, I thought you
1: were gonna say it's because it's the only one you've ever
0: had. No, I've had KFC, Popeyes, churches. I've had a yeah. pretty wide array of you know fried chicken joints, but I love Bojangles. It is do we
1: even wonderful. have churches around here? Mm-mm. See, I don't eat at churches because I had a bad experience at one while living in New Orleans. We're not gonna talk about that. <laughs> so, but I would say Bojang- Bojangles is
0: my favorite as well. Agreed. Agreed now, I wonder, does our guest have a different opinion on the podcast today? We have Dr. Rich Brown, so doc, what do you think?
2: Oh boy, I don't do much fried chicken, but if I had to go there, I would probably go with the standard k f c answer because that's what? really the only one I would get. Dude, when I would go to Bojangles, I'd probably go more over to breakfast sandwiches for Kyle took the sandwiches off the table. I did. Fun
1: intended. I am everybody's least favorite person right now. But a
0: Cajun fillet biscuit is a wonderful thing. Yes. There
2: you go, baby. There you go. And a
0: Bowberry biscuit will change your life. For for better or worse? (laughs) Depends. (laughs) To be determined. Depends on whether you're diabetic. (laughs) You need to wear depends. Is that what you
1: said? (laughs) No. Okay. Follow-up question. Follow-up question. What is your favorite piece of chicken? Thigh. So you're a thigh guy. Yeah. We can, <laughs> we That's that. weird. We can, <laughs> we can clip that and use it as a profile. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. Yeah. When it comes to chicken, you gotta be careful. I like, give those answers. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes, you do. Yeah, you really I do. Like, I like the uh, leg. Oh, he.
1: It's leg. easy.
2: You just grab it and go, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's true. Well, I I would say my favorite piece of chicken is the chicken breast. (laughs) I just want to be very clear here. Uh,
0: So all parts of the chicken have been covered. I do like the wing as well. Yeah, but I like that a different way. I don't, oh,
1: yeah, I, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> hot wings? All right, cool. So Dr. Rich Brown is our guest today. Yep. And uh, Doc, before we get into anything, I would love to t- I would love to give you an opportunity to plug all of the things that you uh, do in the world of student ministry and next gen ministry. So can you can you uh, uh, share with us a little bit of what 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 you your sphere of influence is in this world?
2: Currently, what I'm doing is what God placed on my heart three years ago. that was to begin a, a resource for those who are in the world of student ministry like yourselves, both as professionals and even volunteers. So how can I, at this uh, young and tender age of my late 50s, how can I be that voice and champion of student ministry? In other words, have your back uh, to the local church, but also really be a resource of encouragement, equipping, engaging, and empowering student ministry leaders to be Excellent at what they do and to think of youth ministry as just not babysitting, but as truly disciple making. And how that plays out is in three basic lanes or verticals where I will do public speaking, whether it's to students, parents, uh, church as a whole, uh, ministry teams. Also the training component, basically taking my classroom background experience right into the local church and providing a lot of resources there for, for those who are on the uh, more so the, the volunteer side. Uh, and then specifically in Dakota, you're well aware of this, more of even the coaching component, which is really focusing on those who are on the professional side of how can we help provide free resources, but also pay services for them. Bottom line is to help you all, wherever you're at, uh, go further, faster in being uh, effective and excellent what you do to disciple students.
0: Yeah. So... I've I've gotten to be a part of Next Gen Matters quite a bit uh, in the last uh, I don't know how long have I been kind of jumping in with you six seven like months? A year months yeah well yeah yeah uh, so that's been an awesome time uh, getting to experience some of those things directly but um, you do have have a long tenure of ministry so Doc can you tell us a little bit about you know where your involvement in student ministry kind of started and. Uh, a little Absolutely. bit of a picture of how you got where you are now
2: yeah yes i was in college back in the early 80s and being a pastor some myself the last thing i actually considered doing or being was become a pastor uh, i never had a air quotes student pastor growing up so i didn't even know what that looked like yeah my beginning of my sophomore year um i heard a speaker challenge those of us in the audience to consider basically giving ourselves away to become youth pastors and youth workers. And I'm like, I just had a volunteer youth director. He loved Jesus. He loved us. But what that looked like, we just had, I call it Sunday night babysitting, you know, mm-hmm. kind of youth group that was just, it was it existed youth group, you know? So when I hear this idea or this concept of being a youth pastor, I'm like, what is that even all about? Yet God began to really put that, that um, calling, that itch, if you will, in my heart. So I began pursuing the youth classes at my, my university and majored in youth ministry, all the while also working as a volunteer uh, in different churches and even going back home and starting some things when I was home on breaks. So in 85, 19, not 18, okay, but in 85, when uh, my <laughs> wife and I got married, and, yes. <laughs> uh, so when God uh, just launched me to become a student pastor, uh, I did that for close to 20 years. And um, some okay. Small so wait, churches, some wait. big churches.
0: So you can be a youth well, a pastor field. for more than like two years at a time?
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it was crazy, guys, because when I started place? out. Huh? At the same place? That can happen. <laughs> there has been exceptions to that ugly three year rule. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, myself and I still don't doing anything else besides just being involved in the lives of students and now specifically lives of like y'all, like those who are leaders who will then in turn disciple on love on students. So after um that journey, um the Lord opened up this opportunity for me to go back to my alma mater and teach uh, youth ministry to students who were college students. And I always loved college students. I had them a lot in my my class pardon me my um my youth ministry, as far as leadership goes. But the opportunity to go teach educationally and academically was very attractive. And yet the more I kept thinking about it, God and I had some wrestling because I'm like, Lord, and I'm not against becoming a professor of youth work. What a dream job, right? But I never wanted to leave being a youth pastor. I was just to turn 40 and I'm like, I really felt, I was literally in the prime of my career. Uh, for multiple reasons. Um I won't go into that now, but the one specifically, being I'm now a dad of teenagers. I get being a parent. I I be one. <laughs> and and among other things, this the longevity of now understanding and really feeling like, okay, I really have this down. And and that's a good place to be. Why would I leave that? So living in Seattle then moving all the way across the country, as I like, did say, Okay, Lord, you are calling me to come back to the East Coast and and teach. So for the next 16 years, I was in the classroom, and Dakota, you were uh, one of those students I was very endeared to uh, for many years here, um, where I live in Virginia. But I had the time of my life, guys, just taking young men and women college students, and some were just looking at taking an elective course and just maybe seeing themselves as a volunteer, and I will definitely shout that out and prop that up. But I was so really, really excited to see freshmen go right through their senior class to Cody, you and I spent a lot of time on that one in your senior portfolio class with me, preparing them to be effective as student pastors and ministry leaders. Um, loved it. Loved the time to just love on college students. My my first three years of, of teaching, I was going through massive withdrawal because mm. I longed to still be in the trench being a student pastor. And, and I missed, I missed teaching the Word of God on a weekly basis, you know, a couple of times a week to students. Um, Cal students were great, but there was something about that that adolescent um, life that still has always resonated with me, you know, especially how can we get the Word of God into them and see them become missional with their lives where they could be the most influential among their own generation. Mm-hmm. So stepping out of the church to go in the academic setting was a, Really difficult season. Matter of fact, my my first month I was here back in the fall of two thousand and three, a former colleague had I, I shared this with this colleague and I said, Man, I really miss being a youth pastor. This guy says to me, Don't worry, you'll get over it.
3: <laughs> oh.
2: And, and you know, he was a youth pastor for a while, you know. And I I just I took that in my heart and I was like, No. So for the next, and Dakota, you know this because you met me many years later, but I would say that in the classroom to my intro youth ministry course, and these are basically guys, these are basically 18-year-olds just eight weeks out of, you know, wearing a black cape or robe, you know, from graduation, eating cake and getting money to go off to college in two months. Mm-hmm. These are 18-year-olds I'm sharing this with, and I'd be like, guys, as I share that part of my journey, I said, guys, the day I get over it, I don't think I have the integrity to be a youth ministry's professor. 'Cause I don't want to become a talking head from back in the day. Um, this is still a, a firm passion of mine to see a sixteen-year-old young man that just trying to figure out how theology and life comes together, a fourteen year old girl that doesn't know Jesus, how can we help her understand her identity is not in something else, but it's gonna be in Christ when she submits to Jesus. And it's like that will never leave my heart. It looks different now in my new role, but that at the end of the day, like even next gen matters. Is not about just Kyler or, or just the Coder, just our listeners who work in, with youth. At the end of the day, Next Gen Managers is all about seeing students embrace Jesus and be, being missional with Him in their lives. So, what happened after 16 years? A number of my colleagues and myself were uh, were kind of uh, directly shocked, as there was a massive um, uh, downsizing of our of our faculty and, and our department in our school and so many of our 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 jobs our positions were eliminated because of the finances right so i'm like okay lord i'm 56 i ain't done (laughs) i still love students i'm more passionate about getting this next generation in touch with jesus than ever before what do you have for me and that's when he put within a month's time y'all he put that idea there of next gen matters based on psalm 78 and by the way kyle in dakota the reason i use the word matters we all know next gen it's out of psalm 78 matter of fact next generation is the most common phrase used in the scripture for we call today youth or students
3: yeah Mm -hmm.
2: psalm 78 throughout psalms is over 40 times mentioned the next generation the next generation the next generation and i like the word matters because there's a double entendre there the first the first meaning could be when i hear the word matter i think of the word value like matters components like what are the structure, the construct mm-hmm. of something, it, it has, it, it the construct, the components, the matters of a business, but also the word matters. I said the word value that also has value. So what is the construct of a healthy student ministry? The matters of a student ministry, but also student ministry matters, the value of student ministry in the lives of students and their families. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of the journey. Uh, it's been, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're getting close to forty years. I'm sorry to say, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I got called to to do this with Jesus when I was 19. i uh, 59 now, so it's been 40 years. Oh, that's crazy! <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: I, I will have to say this. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised to hear that you're 59 years old because you you don't carry yourself like a 59 year old. So I guess the whole the whole uh, joke that we that we often tell volunteers that working with students will keep you young. I guess that's true, uh, in, in your case, because I would not peg you for fifty nine years old.
2: Well, thank you, and your listeners will not know that either because they can't see me. So that's true. That's
1: very true. You you just sound like a you know a typical thirty you know thirty three year old on the podcast with us. So so
2: oh, the magic Jesus age thirty three. There you go. Mm. Yeah,
1: there you go. There you go. That's when a pastor's life yeah. ends,
0: right? Oh my! Ouch. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, so Doc, you've you've experienced uh, student ministry in multiple decades, um, and yeah. you've experienced it in multiple different facets. Um, yet, you have always had the same heart for it. Um, but right. one of the questions that I'd really like to hear from you, and then we'll kind of discuss together because Kyle as well has been in student ministry. He's in now two, two separate decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, yep. I'm about to round out my first decade. Um, so, uh, I would love to hear from you as, as, as a longtime student ministry veteran, like what has changed about student ministry since kind of the beginning up to where we're currently at now in our culture?
2: It's a great question now. I think that question could go two directions, student culture, like the students themselves, mm-hmm. or in the student ministry world of how we minister to students. It's a little so bit let involved. me Let me take, yeah, yeah, because they, they definitely affect each other. Let me start with the kind of the, the structural side within the church and even the parachurch world. So I'm starting out, I'm, 80, I'm 85, duh. I'm 22 in 1985. <laughs> That's, we got a and, Benjamin Button thing going on here. Yeah, baby. And the, here's where it's at. I mean, back in my day, we, we at the school I was at, we were the first school to actually have a youth ministry major. So when I finished at 22 years of age, I think I'm all that and then some, because, you know, I have all these, what, six or seven classes that no one else had. So God had humbled me a lot because at 22, you think you got it all down. You realize after your third board meeting, you probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> but what what was they going call them, on they call then? Them, they
1: call them board meetings for a reason. <laughs> well, I found that out too. Some of those weren't
2: too boring though. But anyway, <laughs> um, what I found out was trying to gather a team of volunteers was very difficult because I was told this in my first board meeting was we hired you to reach students to reach families. And I was and they said we hired you in faith that your salary will pay for itself with the people that come into the church. So no pressure on a <laughs> twenty two year old, right? Yeah. Right. So therefore we hired you to do it. And I already knew what Ephesians four said. And thankfully I had a good healthy education, which explained we have to build a great team and equip God's people for ministry. But the church the church's view and I can't speak for a capital TV church, but what I sensed in my church, and even the guys you sort of to talk with, the same thing with them, was we hired you to do all that. So we didn't hire you to equip the saints, we hired you to be the one doing it. Mm. So therefore, in the 80s, starting out, it's like, you know, the one man dog and pony show. And you have volunteers who would sit and watch. So they're almost like chaperone babysitter. And that's not what I ever intended. That really didn't change until the 90s. I began to see by the early to mid 90s. Now the church began to um, thankfully embrace more of a team approach. And I really think that expanded even better by early 2000s with Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Church and then Purpose Driven Life, because he started out with that every member is a minister. You know, so by the time you get in two thousand one, two thousand two, we now began to see uh, the student minister also having a great, healthy sense of a team who truly does help run the ministry proactively, and incorporate with that students who were now seen as tangible and viable ministers as well. So it's a we thing, not a me thing. So from the structural side, that's one of the big things I began to see going away from just being the you know, the, uh, the guy on the stage doing your thing. Uh, I began to see the benefit and the value embraced by the church of small groups. Cause I tried small groups in the early eight to mid eighties did not go over at all mm. because I think people were just, they it wigged them out in the church. Now, now think of y'all's church, any church listening to this right now, everybody has some form of a life group or home group or whatever. Yeah. But being a pastor to so myself, my dad actually told me he was afraid of small groups in the wow. church because they may go rogue. And the senior pastor wanted to control everything. Mm. So th- there's some of the things that I think we were kind of on the cutting edge in youth work because we were doing missions trips where the, churches, the church as a whole wasn't. We were doing the idea of outreach events. like Now the church, all the church embraces black parties and if it's fall, you know, it's trunk or treat. Yeah. So the things that we were doing in youth work, like then small groups, the church kind of held away from or held back. Now they all do it. So it's interesting even to see how I think student ministry in many ways actually has influenced for the best, influenced, um, the approach to the ministry approach to the whole church. So that, I don't think it even answers what you're thinking about, but that's a little backstory of last four decades what I've
0: seen. Well, yeah, and I mean, we can see that in our context. I mean, we just had a a parent meeting on Sunday, and the big thrust of that meeting was, yeah, informing them, but also saying, we need you to be a part of this with us, because we can't do it alone. And Kyle, you always point out the sticky faith research uh, that, Mm -hmm. go ahead, I'm going to mess it up, so you go ahead and tell
1: it. it, (laughs) They they basically, if I were were to summarize it, it, the sticky faith research says that, you know, a kid needs five adult influences pouring into them at any one time and if they have that they're infinitely more likely to hold on to their faith after mm-hmm. uh, after high school but you know over mm-hmm. the years we've had various different approaches that have that have that have been proposed and you know I- enacted by various different people some of them have been the approach of the 80s and and maybe some of the 90s of we're relying upon the rock star uh superhero right. youth right. pastor uh and then almost in like a pendulum swing uh some of what i saw when i initially got to spotswood uh 12 years ago was this what was a little bit of this 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 vibe of did, mom and dad are the primary disciples of their children, which they are, but it almost got to the point where mom and dad felt like this is so my responsibility that I can't necessarily let—I yeah. I can't rely on anybody outside of me at all, kind of that Votie Bauckham, uh model, right. uh, so to speak. And so we had a lot of that when I, when I first got here. You know, you can't talk to my— uh, you can't talk to my kid about sexual purity because that's Mom and Dad's responsibility, that sort of thing. You know, it was it was common early on when we did a series on sexual purity that that I would have a number of families in the youth ministry that pulled their kids out for four weeks of that series because they, they did not feel like it was okay for anybody other than mom and dad to talk about that. Uh, and so we kinda, we kinda hit a pendulum swing, uh, so to speak. And that may be different in different places and in different cultures and in different denominations as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, and I'm, which coming, is true. Yeah. Well, and I'm coming from the perspective of like, I, I've only experienced church since about 2009. Um, and that's when, you know, I, I became a Christian in that, that time frame uh, as, a, as a late teenager. And so, you know, I didn't have any experience about what church was like. And then, you know, quote unquote, professionally, you know, being in the church, uh, I was shielded a lot, which I learned in your class, Doc. Um, I went into a ministry role when I was 19 for about seven, eight months. And then that was before I went to school at all. And then I got in the classroom and I thought I knew all these things and realized that I I was shielded from so much because I didn't know what I was doing. And then I after school got involved here at Spotswood as an intern and then later in a couple other churches as a youth pastor. But so my my scope is so much more limited than than yours, Doc, and even yours, Kyle. So it's for me, it's beneficial to hear about y'all's view of like structurally. Because I don't know what the structure of the church was, other than what I hear from people that experienced it, Um, so I think that's going to be helpful for some of the other people. But let's talk a little bit about students in general. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, because when I was in, you know, you know, late high school going into college, everybody talked about the millennials, right? Yep. Um, But now we're talking about, you know, Gen Z. So let's talk a little bit the, about the
1: new butt of the joke.
0: Yeah. And then the generation after them will be the butt of the joke. Yep.
1: It's always the generation that is just coming up that seems to always be the butt of the joke. Yes. Yeah, and, so- and and for and that and that's a little bit frustrating for those of us who work with youth worker or mm-hmm. who work with youth. It's just it's the same it's the same song, different verse. It's just previous generations criticizing the upcoming generation. Yep. And almost almost uh it little tongue in cheek feels like a rite of passage almost. You're not you're not a cranky adult yet until you start complaining about everyone that's younger than you. Oh my! I, I'm I'm tongue in cheek here, but anyways, you can speak into
0: that. So yeah, let's
2: let's talk a little bit
0: <laughs> about the difference in the culture of students and kind of what they're like now.
2: I don't know if I could answer that because it's so that is such a loaded question. I mean, I, any one of us has a very small uh, view of what we see in front of us. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm blessed that I'm in contact with youth ministers and youth workers texting phone calls every day. So now, my the last three years, my my view, what's going on out there is through the eyes and the ears of those that I'm ministering to directly as youth workers. So actually, my world has expanded. But even then, I feel very limited in how to answer that, but I'll do my best. How's that? <laughs> Sounds, Sounds good. Great. Um What I saw changing, and it's not overnight, guys. It's been a slow fade. But what I saw changing, even in the late 90s, was the lack of eye contact. And this was before the age of iPhones. Flip phones were barely becoming on the scene. But the digital age was just now surfacing. I was living in Seattle. Most of my church actually worked at Microsoft. Microsoft. And I began, I read this book and Dawson McAllister just has passed away recently, but his book back then written in 1999 was called The Coming, The Coming Generation. You know, the idea there, they, oh gosh, what is The Reaching the millennial generation. I think I'm going to, I'm going to botch this. It's in the show notes for you later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it had to do with the next generation, the millennial generation. And he was mentioning this, that they want, they want story. This is written 1999. They, they identify better with narratives, and he was saying because of the beginning of the screen that they're having a harder time looking in the eye. Mm. Dakota, what year were you born?
0: 92.
2: So you would have been about six or seven when that book came out. Mm-hmm. And guys, I was noticing it then. They were having a more difficult time looking at me. a matter of fact, one of them, um, he, he would ask me a question. He'd always look down. Like, Come on. I mean, we can all be introverted and shot, so maybe that's a lot of it. But he said this to me. He asked me uh, a theological question and I was gonna you know, how do we know the Bible's true? Well, that's a five week series, right? Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Which I had just gone through with them. <laughs> and he goes, Well, how do we know it's true? And I said, Well, let me just talk with you about that. He goes, No, no, no. He looked down and he goes, I do better with emails. This was nineteen ninety nine. Wow. And that's when I began seeing, I just had read Dawson's book, and I began seeing this shift of, they're having a more difficult time having a conversation with you. And then you take that, and then you, you know, back in 2003, I'm moving here in the college setting. And I began to see that shift over time. Because one of the cool things in my job, educationally, was I was seeing 18-year-olds every fall. Mm Mm-hmm. That means I was getting a window into the world of both the Christian home and the Christian church because I'd ask, raise of hands, hundreds of some students in a class, how many of you are coming from one, if not both parents, identifies born again, follows of Jesus Christ? Well over 85, 90% of hands go up. How many of you were at least once a week, give or take, once a week, attenders of a Bible teaching church? Raise your hands. Easy peasy, 90% of hands go up. So I am seeing. Every fall, a picture of the church. And what I began to see shift. And, you know, listener, don't think college students. We're just talking about college students. These are 18-year-olds just coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. And I began to see that shift between 2003, 2010, Dakota, then think about 2015, et cetera. Right? This is the shift I began seeing. Um, their Christian worldview was becoming less and less. Their knowledge base of the word was becoming less and less. When I would share simple truths of scriptures, and I'd say, you remember back in the story of, let's say, Eli, Samuel, whatever. They had this like fog look. So I realized most of them, unfortunately, had grown up. And this is not throwing rocks at the church. I love the church. I've given my life to serve the church. But I realized they are now the second or third generation of the five happy hop series in their local church where many of them possibly actually had youth ministries that were deeper than their local church. Mm. And that's, I'm not criticizing. I'm just pointing it out.
3: Well, Hey guys, Tyler Cooper here. I'm the college pastor here at Sponsored Baptist church. And I just want to let you know that we are just over four weeks out from the greatest gospel opportunity of the year. That's right. I'm talking about Halloween. It's the one day of the year that our neighbors will literally come to our front doors. So no matter where you're tuning in from, we'd love for you to take advantage of this holiday, this opportunity, and reach your neighbors with the gospel of Jesus. But we're praying specifically for 200 families from Spotswood to join us by either being out front of their homes or by banding together with friends to throw a mini block party. If you and your family say yes to this, we've got some great gear, some great resources for you to use that night. We just need you to go to Spotswood.org halloween and get signed up either as a single home or as a block party. The Halloween page has all kinds of ideas and it'll spell out all that's coming your way when you sign up. So go do that today.
2: So their worldview was becoming less and less Christian because when I throw simple things up, sexuality or anything that would be a biblical construct, you would see the dagger look back. Like, how dare you go there, you know, toward me? And I began to see that, like they were embracing more and more of a, I'll be honest, godless humanistic worldview. Yeah. And then you began to see lack of, you know, my people perish for the lack of knowledge, right? So they also then, and this was in the last six or seven years, going back to probably 2012, 2013 After classes were done, I saw the massive shift. Dakota, when you had me, that was ten plus years ago. Remember? Because you were one of those students. After class, thump, students coming up, we're talking, we're bantering, having fun. Mm-hmm. 15, 20, 30 minutes after class. What shifted with the last four or five years to me in the classroom, as soon as class was dismissed, I have earbuds in my ears right now. The earbuds would come out that go in the ears, the book book bags would come out. Computers would go in no conversations with anybody near each other. You'd go on the bus and they would tell me the rules are the unwritten rules. You do not talk to people on the bus. Mm. Everyone lives in their silo world. Yeah. And I thought what they're longing for is relationships, but they don't know how to have them.
0: Yeah.
2: So guys, I just unpacked a lot. Yeah, you did. I just dropped a lot there.
0: Well, and and to one of the things that you were talking about, which is the biblical illiteracy, um, Kyle and I have talked about this a lot, and we work together on our series planning because um, we teach the middle school and high school in our church separately. However, we teach the same content to their level. Um, and we did just like you were saying, we used to do a lot more of the, you know, series and things like that, and they weren't all bad. Um, but what we realized is that we asked the question, is this really giving them what they need? Because we were finding some of the same things. So this will kind of inform our next question, which is, you know, what's the same? Uh, well, the same thing is that the students needed to be made more biblically literate. So we changed the way that we're doing our teaching um, in our student ministry to we're going through for an entire year, we're going through the book of John, you know, so that's kind of what we're doing right now.
1: Yeah, I think um, just kind of speaking into this, I, I'm grateful that you said I was into my my second decade. I'm, I'm into my second decade at Spotswood. Uh, I've, I've technically been working on some level with with youth for about, two decades yeah uh, getting ready to start the third um one of the things that i noticed really early on is as as you know i come to know jesus in the middle of the seeker sensitive movement i really began mm-hmm. to notice that while while things were very seeker sensitive while they were very focused on reaching people the bible teaching was very light mm-hmm. and as a mm-hmm. result I don't know that I really began having a deep understanding of, of the Bible and what it taught until I got to seminary. And I came into contact with professors who had a, had a, a, a very um, deep appreciation uh, and, and deep calling to make sure their students had that kind of, of thirst as well. Um, And so I think as a result, we've raised up a generation of people who don't know the basic answers to questions, and not that that's the the goal. Biblical knowledge is certainly not the goal. The goal is following Jesus, Mm -hmm. but you can't follow Jesus if you don't know the Word, and so for us— we 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 really want to 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 tackle this issue head on. I would say that's one of the biggest things that that feels like it is changing now is there are more and more people in the church who are actually conscious of this hunger for a deeper understanding of mm. the word than there were before. Before beforehand, the part of the reason why the secret sensitive movement was so successful was because The church had gotten so stuffy and staunch in its approach that people were looking for something that had a little bit more life to it, and and that had life, it had a little bit more uh, relevancy. But we came, we became so relevant to the lives that people were living that we forgot the things in scripture that God said should be relevant to our
0: lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and we started, you know, we were keeping them how we caught them. Yeah, you know, like we we ended up doing this thing where it, we had to ramp up the show, or they would leave, you right. know, because that's what they came for. They didn't come for you know for understanding right. who Jesus is more. They just came for the 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 get out of hell free card in the show. Yeah,
1: and and, and now, and now I would say because of technology, because of some of the uh, the things that you spoke about, Doc Brown. I I almost feel like the I don't know exactly what to call it, but the gap between someone's exposure and the gap between their own personal maturity has widened. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, the middle schoolers and high schoolers we have now are probably exposed to more immoral things than people have ever. been exposed <laughs> to ever, or or at least in a very, very, very long time. They have it at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed, especially in a post-COVID generation, is that the maturity level is so much lower. Uh, it's almost as if somebody yeah. pushed the pause button even though on a a regular basis on a Wednesday night, I've got 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, a lot of times I feel like I have 4th, 5th, and 6th graders Mm. or or, or, or 5th, 6th, and 7th graders because the, the maturity level is so much lower than what you would expect, even though the
0: exposure level is so much higher. Yeah. Well, and that... Yeah. I mean, and in high school... It, it's almost like you have a lower maturity level and then you're just ramping up their responsibilities and their their opportunities to do stuff with license and and jobs and things like that. Well so. yeah,
1: but I mean, that's you know the, the whole driver's license is a perfect case in point. At one point in time, you were getting your permit at 15. you were getting your mm-hmm. driver's license. At 16, you were counting down the days. And now because the world is at your fingertips um of, of your phone, there's less of a desire to get out into the world. In fact, there's more of a desire to avoid the world, put your earbuds in and stay by yourself and stay introverted. Yep. And so now we've got students, it's very common for them to not get their driver's
0: license till 18 or 19. Yep. When they have to leave. <laughs> yeah. So
2: Yeah, because what's the what's the reason for it? I mean back and I'm gonna sound really old, I'm not trying to. But you know, I wanted to drive, you wanted independence, but you also were looking at having a job. Yeah. And and or getting yourself the ball practice. Yeah. In other words, you know, there's there's so much to unpack here. some of the things that Cody, we were talking earlier about what are some of the differences, but what are some of the similarities? Yeah. The needs are still the needs are still the same. It may appear different and you guys are absolutely right. I have never seen I have never seen the quantum leap at this speed of the culture pushing an immoral lifestyle at our families than I have seen in the last few years, especially mm-hmm. the last couple of years. I mean, I think everyone, whatever political side they're on, has to see that. Yeah, some would applaud and affirm that because that's freedom. They would say, and we're looking and go, what's happening? You know, th- these students are truly facing special sexual pressure that my generation never faced. And by the way, you know, the bomb was being dropped in my outfield, not from me, <laughs> but was being dropped in the 1970s. I heard all the language you hear today. But the idea of, for example, I was with my nephews, they're seven through 15 years of age. And with, in the back seat of my car is up in Cincinnati last week for a wedding. And they're talking, now they're, their mom and dad, are godly youth pastors on staff, right? So they're hearing it from a Christian worldview, but they're talking about pronouns. And, and the seven year olds chirping in and talking about identity. And you know, you guys don't go with all this. Yeah. So, yeah, they're now at seven, eight years old hearing this. But let me, let me throw this at you. Um, there's something I used to say in the classroom a lot. I really think it resonates with what our conversation is. I think what students are looking for. And I have five, and they all start with art because I'm a Baptist preacher. Okay, <laughs> but you'll remember them hopefully. Um, they want reality, they want relationships. I'll I'll say these slower again. I'm going to say them really quick now. They want reality, relationships. They want respect. They want reasons, and they want recognition. But yeah. here's here's what's crazy. While they want these things, and I always share this in the classroom. I say I'm putting my credibility on the line because if I get this wrong, <laughs> in your brain you just threw me out. So. So I hope I get it right. This is what I believe adolescents, whether it's young, middle, or late adolescents are all looking for. They want reality. But the crazy thing is with all five of those R's, I think it's a juxtaposition. They want them, but they don't know how to actually, let's say, execute them or do them or even give them. So we want reality. So we have reality shows. You know, keep it real, y'all. So we have reality shows. How fake is that? So we have social media. How fake is that? So now we have get real. Yeah, we'll see how real that stays, right? right. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. just came out, what, like a month or two ago or whatever? Mm -hmm. So they also want relationships. And yeah, like I've already said, they have the hardest time looking at someone in the eyes. And I'm not necessarily blaming them because the people that should be pouring into them are adults that can help them understand these simple truths of shake someone's hand, look at someone you're talking to them, we all have our opinions on a thing called the mask. But what has that done? You know? And or or now we're concerned, you know, the things I was seeing the last two years. You know, you may kill somebody. You know, they've they've now grown up with this. So you're already feeling maybe insecure or introverted to begin with. Stay safe, stay home. I'm not arguing, I'm just saying this is what they've heard. And now that, like, okay, now it's okay, go back out. And they're like, huh? What I'm picking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want respect, but it's almost like, yeah, we want respect, but they have a hard time to be giving respect. Um, the other thing I was thinking is they want reasons. <laughs> so you know give me but then when you give them a reason, they push it back. Well, that's just your truth. Well you wanted me to give you a reason? <laughs> this is what the word says. And the last one is recognition. Yeah, hey, recognize me, notice me. But if you actually point them out, they get really embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I just want to be anonymous. So I find these things kind of a juxtaposition. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Uh, well, and something else that kind of I noticed is you were you were kind of mentioning that they wanted to be a part of these things and, and, and the onslaught of all of these, you know, ideologies that are immoral and against scripture. But the thing is is like we're this generation is in a situation where all of that's coming at them and to disagree is actually hostile. Well, yeah, it it used to be at once upon a time you felt the draw
1: and the urge to these these things, but the culture told you that you were wrong. You kept them secret because you were embarrassed. What will happen if people find these things out? Now it's it's not demeaned. Or demonized, it's almost it's celebrated. It, it, it's like you you should come out with these things because uh, if you do, you will get proper recognition. You will be celebrated. You
0: are different right. in a good yeah. way, and because of
1: that, and you're a hero. Yeah, and you're, you're a called hero. a hero. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and because of that whole like change, in, it the whole script is flipped. So now, if you are someone who loves Jesus and believes the Bible even as a teenager you're wanting to hide that behind closed right. doors because if you don't you get you get bombarded with hate and and criticism yeah. and, and and it is so devastating to teenagers and, and i think, feel you feel the urge then to push that down and
1: Maybe even explore whether or not you can grab onto these other
0: things. Yeah, not
1: not because you feel them, but because you feel the draw to be accepted.
0: Yeah, well, and what that causes, and because of the what we talked about earlier, some of that lack of biblical uh, literacy coupled with that desire for that acceptance and the wave of immoral practice pushed into your life, and the fear of being rejected and hated you start saying well how can i make the things that i believe about the bible fit with this maybe i can compromise x y and z so that i can be accepted in both worlds or it comes with an all an outright well i'm rejecting the bible because i value the acceptance of all of these other things more
2: mm-hmm.
0: you yeah. know and that's kind of where we're at which points to doc what you right. were saying the need of teenagers of adolescence has honestly never changed. I mean the need is always going to be Jesus at the core. You know, that is the base right. need for every single, you know, student is that right. they need right. Jesus. You know, but one one of the things that we talk about is they need a place to belong. You talked about, you know, relationship. Yep. They need people to help them grow in their faith and understand it and grow in their right your discipleship right.
2: you know the the here's the beauty the the same core needs whether it's Maslow's hierarchy or whatever does not change mm-hmm. and Kyle I was with you guys what, it was almost 10 years ago now in, yeah. in middle school um, and we I did the your, the uh, topic on identity mm-hmm. that word has now changed meaning yep that same uh, word has not changed meaning But what I'm saying is, the need is still there. We used to have our need for identity met in a ball team. At least I did. I'm a jock, therefore I'm accepted. Mm -hmm. With a lunch table you sat at. You know, (laughs) depended on how well you were accepted. Now, the same need is out there with identity. The need to identify with and to belong. But now, of course, it's it's pursued in different areas. So this is the beauty is I want every listener to understand that the human need is always going to be the same. That here, here, here it is. There's two things. I want to be loved. And I want to love. I want to give love and have that love received. Mm-hmm. When will that need ever change? Yeah. That, that, I believe, is a God-given need. Yeah. to know my creator and then in the beginning of genesis it's not good for man to be alone i'm talking more of the marriage level but even the constructs of home then community what he does god does with his covenant people in the book of genesis then through the moses and joshua generation creating a nation of israel jesus comes along i will build my church we have that longing that need to belong. To our creator, love the Lord, your God, and each other, your neighbor as yourself. That will never change. So as the culture continues to try to fill that gap, here's the beauty. We've got the answer. Mm-hmm. We, You guys are going through John? Yes. <laughs> I am divine. You are the branch. You know? I mean, every, every social need you can think of. And it's actually, Dakota, you got this in my intro youth class, the six needs of adolescence. That, all those six needs are met in the book of John. Jesus Jesus meets those needs. So I think this is where I think we can, we can and should be encouraged, is that while the culture will shift and change, the needs are always going to be the same. Mm-hmm. I want to know, do you love me? Do you value me? Um, am I secure here? You know, now we use the phrase safe space. Well, you know what? There is something to be said about that. So this is where we as a Christian community can create a place. And I, I kind of think of it like this. Being like Jesus as described by John in John 1.14, to be full of grace and truth. How is I as a youth worker, I as a father, I have three kids, they're all adults, they love Jesus. Two of My two sons are ordained pastors. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And my daughter is awesome, and she's a mom with two little ones, and she owns her own hair salon. And I have an incredibly awesome godly son-in-law and a beautiful young daughter-in-law. And our third little one is on the way. God is blessing the Brown family. So, but what I'm saying is I'm talking as a dad and now as a Gramps. G-pop is the cool name, right? <laughs> but I'm also talking as someone who just loves students in general. Those needs never change. Yeah. So how can I, the older I get, the longevity of God still has me in reaching out to youth. How can I stay consistent and provide God's answers to their basic needs? That's the question that has to be asked too.
0: Well, and that's actually a really good segue because we could we could talk about some of these things for for days. Um, but um, you have been in ministry a long time, and you've made an incredible impact on the kingdom for a long time, and you are continuing to make uh, an impact on the kingdom, just like you're saying, both in your own personal family, but also in the ministry that you are a part of, that God's called you to. So, you know, you kind of answered a little bit of this, but I got two kind of last questions that I want to throw at you. Um, what has kept you invested in student ministry for so many years? And what makes for a good long-term youth worker? Does <laughs> that make sense?
2: Yes. What's kept me in the game? Yeah. Um, I'm guilty The corny answer. But it's 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 serious and it's true. He's called me. Mm. And I think of Matthew 9. I never want to get over Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, where Jesus looks at the masses of people, I would say one person at a time, looks at his 12. He says, guys, these are my words, right? Guys, look at them. They are like a sheep without a shepherd. Mm. They are harassed and helpless. What's a sh- what's a shepherd's job? I think there's multiple things a shepherd to do, but let me say two. A shepherd provides direction and protection. That'll preach.
1: Yeah.
2: A shepherd provides direction and protection. A sheep without a shepherd, they are harassed and they're helpless. And it was interesting. I love reading the scriptures. You guys know this. I love reading the chronological Bible every year. You know, give me ten months of the Old Testament, two months of the New Testament. I'm I'm just like I love seeing in the Old Testament. Uh, where it consistently says this phrase, sheep and shepherd. Sheep without, it goes back to Moses' time. That wasn't just a Jesus thing. Jesus was saying that phrase going way back to the prophets and even before the prophets. So this, our covenantal God was always speaking of him being a shepherd to his people. What has kept me in the game is because you, church, you tell me where the greatest need is of salvation, and I'll say it's in the adolescent culture. They are the most unreached of any generation. Only 4% even identify as Christ followers. By the way, it's only 6% of adults now. Born again, Christ followers, as defined in the scriptures. I won't extrapolate that much deeper, but that's research. But I'm saying they're, they're the most unreached age group. There's 42 million of them between the ages of 10 and 19, U.S. Census 2020. 42 million, only 4% even say they identify as followers of Jesus Christ. And there's this argumentation over the numbers of how many drop out. The bottom line is you mentioned sticky faith. Yeah, we're losing a bunch. We can argue what that number is. Is a 50%, 80%, 90%. How many drop out between sixth to 12th grade? I don't know exactly, but we lose a lot. And, and, and praise God if your church doesn't. But when I would throw that out to students, Dakota, you remember this. I still throw that out to you all in class. How many of you remember that 15 or so kids that went from sixth grade, you know, went from children's to youth work and actually stayed with Jesus through high school? Mm -hmm. And you guys would always just validate what I was saying. majority of them were dropping out. Now, I'm not giving up on it. We got to do better at being intentional with discipleship. That's the point. But I'm looking at they are the most unreached group. They're the largest group, and yet they, that generation of adolescents, is the most open to the gospel because 80 percent of people that receive Christ, technically 77, who receive Christ received before 21. So they're the most open to the gospel. They're the most unreached, and yet they're the <laughs> they're the ones that that we need to reach, guys. So what keeps me in the game? The Great Commission. Go where it's hot, man. <laughs> 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 Their worldview is formed. Basically, even before high school, Kyle, middle school is not minor leagues, bro. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's why you're still a middle school ministry. Middle school is not the minor leagues. Your worldview is basically formed even going into high school. Mm-hmm. And even I would say college, I think, tests and challenges your worldview. But basically, your your worldview is set when you go to college it gets tested and challenged. Now, the Holy Spirit can just upend anyone's heart and life and make them a new creation, praise God. And the new is, you know, the old has become new. But without the regenerating of the Holy Spirit, that worldview at 18 is going to be the same worldview when they're older. Mm. So we have the opportunity to train them in in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's why I'm in youth work. Mm. That's
1: a good answer. Yeah.
0: So, so what what would you say would I mean? And it may be some of the similar things, but what would you say would make for a good long term youth worker? Like, what makes for a good long term person that works in student ministry?
2: You actually have asked me a question that it sounds like a shameless plug, and I'll be guilty on it. There's a cohort that I lead in our Next Gen Matters. Matter of fact, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. Mm xjmanage.com. Go check it out. And I'm being serious. I had 30 side, a number of 30 something youth pastors that went through this and some of them wanted to actually, and one-on-ones, they said, I'm I'm out. I'm really getting ready to leave. Praise the Lord. Not through me, but through content shared and through encouragement. It's been exciting to see a a deeper commitment to staying in the game. So what makes a good long-term youth worker? I think there's four key areas. We covered this in the co-work. We use the word sustainable, okay? Sustainable life. How do I keep a personal walk with Jesus fresh? That's where it starts. I do not, and I've never blended my teaching uh, time in the Word, my preparation time for teaching, and said, oh, that's my quiet time. I have my time with Jesus every morning. That's not because I'm a pastor or professor or whatever. That's because I'm a disciple of Jesus. I have to be connected to the vine. I need him. So I have to be a man who has a lifestyle that's based on the word and living that out with my wife and my adult kids and everyone I come in contact with. Sustainable life. Sustainable doctrine. We're now in this evangelical age of deconstructionism. Just asking the hard questions, right? Yeah. Well, it's okay to ask the question. And this is what I actually covered in the cohort. Where's that, that fine line between having a teachable heart and spirit and yet saying what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy keep the pattern of sound words? Where else am I going to turn? But to, I'm in Job right now, y'all. <laughs> where else, he says, where else am I going to go? You know, that's what Peter said to Jesus. Where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So, how do I keep sustainable doctrine? Third is sustainable calling. Knowing that you're called, especially me in youth ministry, Now, my, my position on the team has changed. Everything I do still all centers back to, I want an adolescent to become a woman or man of God, mm-hmm. not at 16, 26, 36, 46. So what's my calling? God, you called me, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. And the fourth area is sustainable relationships. The three of us have had very intimate conversations over the years of ministry relationships that are good and not so good. Mm -hmm. And I think end of the day why many actually just, you know, doink, if you will, out of church work is because they get so burned with relationships in the church. So how do we help us do well in our relationships, play well in the sandbox Mm -hmm. for the others on our teams? But also how do we have good and healthy relationships In the church, here's the crazy one that aren't in youth work. Mm -hmm. You just, whether you hunt, you fish, you you shoot shoot baskets, you watch movies, you just hang out. Getting excellent friendships in your church that aren't always just in your lane. Yeah. And also, then having great ministry relationships from ministers and other people in other churches. You have other brothers and sisters that surround you. So, guys, I'll say this again I want to have a sustainable life. I want to have sustainable doctrine. I want to have a sustainable calling. And I want to have a sustainable relationships. And this is what I have personally struggled with the last couple of years. I'm I'm an extrovert. Duh. Anyone knows who knows that. I'm right here in my home office. I'm an extrovert in a home office, people. So I have to be working extra hard to keep relationships going because I'm not now my job is now coming from home as a hub, as a base. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I have to work extra hard at forming and developing relationships because I long for that. Relationships keep me strong. Godly relationships. Psalm so 1, Proverbs 1. That's a lot. I just kind of like dropped on you there. But. <laughs>
0: well, Doc, um... We're we're running low on time, but uh, I just I just want to tell you one. I've appreciated your mentorship and your friendship over the years. I mean, you you married my wife and myself, and you know that's a memory that I'll cherish You're forever. You're in a polygamous marriage. <sighs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it was pretty big in me.
2: Dad jokes. <laughs> hey, by the way, there's no difference between dad jokes and youth pastor jokes. They are the one in the same. Th- they
0: are. That's true. They are. That's true. But you're so, right, Dakota. I was blessed. And you didn't have cake. You ate Christmas cream donuts. We did. We did. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Doc, I really appreciate taking you taking the time. Um, I do want to also just plug again nextgenmatters.com. Um, I've gotten the privilege of being a part of that. Uh, it's a special time, and it's, it's a really great resource for not just um, youth pastors, but anybody who's volunteering in student ministry or just a parent that Wants to know kind of a little bit about student ministry. It's it's a good resource. So um, we want to hear from you. So if you want to connect with us uh, and talk to us and let us know your thoughts on things and you know all that stuff, you can connect with us on social media on the Spot dot Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Um, and we just want to make sure that you guys know that we care about what you say. So you can also email us at on the spot at spotswood org or You can just DM us on those social media platforms, like we said. Uh, But be sure, if you would, uh, this would go a long ways, and it would mean a lot to us and help us out a lot. Uh, When you see stuff, uh, interact with it. Give us uh, some comments, some feedback on stuff. Uh, Rate the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Share it with somebody else if you think it matters. Uh, But with all that being said, I hope that this was a good episode for you, and we'll be back in about a month to talk about more stuff that matters.